Today's reading is from Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 to 42. At the home of Martha and Mary. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And to keep us on our toes, I'm going to get you to stand again while we affirm our faith. So if you are a Christian, uh, then please say with me this affirmation of faith. We believe in one God who made and loves all that is. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was born, lived, died and rose again and is coming to call all to account. We believe in the Holy Spirit who calls, equips and sends out God's people and brings all things to their true end. This is our faith, the faith of the church. We believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hello everyone. It's great to be um, preaching uh, this year. This is my first sermon for the year, so it feels nice and uh, I feel nice and fresh. So that's good. Well, often I ask uh, when I ask people um, at church if they want to potentially come on board and sign up to a ministry at, at our church. Um, <clears throat> often the response that I see in them is that they, they their eyes open a bit wider. They go like this, and their face starts to go a bit pale. And I think what this is is the fight-or-flight mechanism that comes over people when you ask them to sign up to a ministry. Not all people, but a lot of people do it. And I think what it is is that running through their mind is thoughts like, why is he asking me? Or, I've never done that before. I don't know what I'm doing. Or, is it going to be really hard? Or, what if I don't enjoy myself? And I, I can totally understand your concerns because if you've never done a particular ministry before, uh, you know, it can be very scary, especially if it involves teaching other people. Well, the famous story of Mary and Martha tells us some important things about Christian ministry and what it means for you. The context of the passage, we've had, which we've been preaching through, through uh, this chapter through uh, January and a bit before it as well, is that Jesus just sent out the 72 disciples um, and then we get the famous story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then when we get to the story of Mary and Martha, um, it says that Jesus and the disciples were walking along and Martha welcomes them into her home. And a theme running through all of these three stories in chapter 10 is the theme of Christian discipleship and hospitality. Jesus talks about journeying, um, about hospitality, about being received, even being rejected. And he's saying that fundamental to being his disciple is to use your life to serve other people 
And this kind of service is largely in the realm of hospitality. And this is also called ministry. And I'm going to try and tie a tight link between hospitality and ministry and service. So I've got three points about ministry I'm going to make. Uh, The who of ministry, the lifestyle of ministry, and the important thing of ministry. So let's look at the who of ministry. It says in the passage that Jesus and his disciples were on their way and they came to a village where Martha lived. Now, it doesn't tell us where that village is, but in John 11, it says that um, Martha and her sister Mary were in the town of Bethany, about three kilometres from Jerusalem. So it's like we're here in Jerusalem and Bethany's in Fairfield. That's kind of the distance, not, not too far away. Martha's probably the oldest sister to Mary and the hostess of this house. And they are the sisters of Lazarus and they're both disciples of Jesus. And I said before, you know, this theme of hospitality is there. And so here we see it in verse 38. Martha opens her home to Jesus. So tick. Good on you, Martha. Hospitality. Then it says that Martha's sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But in contrast, this is a very famous contrast, that Martha is distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So Martha, annoyed with her sister, goes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But Jesus doesn't side with Martha. Instead, he pushes back and challenges her, saying, Martha, 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 Martha. It makes me think of that Brady Bunch. What is it? Marsha, Marsha. Yeah, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So what's going on? This passage has been often understood as promoting the life of contemplation over the life of service. But I want to say this is not what this is about. It's not supposed to be a kick in the guts to those people who are really servant-hearted and open their homes to others, who the people who have community group meet at their house and when the community group comes these people have prepared nice food and when the community group finishes and says oh well it's 9 30 time to go these people clean up the dishes because all the others have rushed off this is not a kick in the guts to those people we know that jesus wants us to serve people the son of man came to serve and not to be served and to give his life up as a ransom for many He is the Jesus who washed his disciples' stinky feet. So what's going on? Why was Martha upset and why does Jesus say Mary chose what is better? What we need to do is read this passage with Middle Eastern eyes to see what's going on. A Middle Eastern house from this period is divided up into male and female spaces. If a rabbi was present, traditionally the men would sit with the rabbi in the public room, and the rabbi would teach them. The women would move between the other rooms, which were unseen by the outsiders. They moved amongst the kitchen and in the public room to serve the men and the guests in the house, but then they would return to the kitchen. Men and women would only mingle outside where the children played and in the marriage bedroom. In that culture, the only women who crossed 
into the male world, into the male spaces, in such a comfortable way were prostitutes and elderly women. And so Mary had crossed, Mary, a young woman, had crossed the gender boundary, the boundary line, and sat with the men so she could listen to Jesus teach. Martha didn't need another woman to peel the potatoes. This is not what's going on here. She wanted Mary out of there to protect the family's reputation. What would people in Bethany say if they found out young Mary was spending time with a room full of men like this? Martha could have had a private word with her younger sister, but she puts uh, the plates down in the kitchen sink, throws her tea towel on the floor, puts her hands on her hips and complains directly to their very important guest, Jesus, about her lazy and inappropriate sister who's doing the things she shouldn't be doing. Martha says the words, Lord, Lord, don't you care? But it is Mary who demonstrates with her actions that she really knows that Jesus is Lord and what that means. Mary crossed this cultural line because she wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. Luke says Mary sat at his feet, at Jesus' feet. And we're not to think that, you know, Mary's like Princess Leah in Jabba the Hutt's palace, you know, chained to the floor at Jabba's feet. Jabba's, he doesn't have feet, does he? But um, it's not this kind of dog with master posture. To sit at the feet of someone, there's a phrase used to say that, that you were, you're being a disciple of a rabbi. Saul of Tarsus sat at the feet of Gamaliel as a student of Judaism. When I was a student of the viola at uh, Melbourne Uni, it was very much felt like this posture of sitting at the feet of the, of the masters, the, stu- the teachers. We wanted to soak in everything that they had to offer. We wanted to listen to their anecdotes about the time when they used to play with the London Chamber Orchestra and Leonard Bernstein conductor. We wanted to hear all these stories. We took in their advice. We showed up when they were performing and giving masterclasses. We practiced for our lessons. We wanted to emulate them. And in fact, to sit at the feet of someone means that you're not just listening, but you want to do what they're doing. You want to be a rabbi yourself. Mary's not just sitting at Jesus' feet because she's lazy and avoiding peeling the potatoes. She's absorbing everything she can so that she too might become a potential future teacher and preacher of the gospel. Jesus doesn't care uh, that she's a woman in a traditionally man space. He came to bring good news to men and women. Jesus transcended cultural and gender barriers. We see this in the way he related to the bleeding woman. We see this in the way he related to the Samaritan woman at the well. In fact, it says in Luke chapter 8 that Jesus travelled through cities and villages with, with a group of men and women disciples. And as modern Australian readers, we might think, oh, that doesn't sound like a, such a surprising thing. But even in contemporary traditional Middle Eastern cultures today, this kind of mixed gender community would, moving around together like this would never happen. Women could travel with men, but then they'd have to spend their nights with relatives. See, from a gender perspective, the Jesus movement was very unusual for its time. The Bible reveals that women helped finance the movement out of the resources that they had. So Jesus is very comfortable and encouraging of women disciples. 
Jesus affirmed that what Mary has chosen is good and the best choice. So we're to look to Mary as the good example of the student of the rabbi, the better disciple in this case. I said that my first point is the who of ministry. So who is the who of ministry? The who of ministry is you. Uh, We are here being invited to emulate young Mary. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are male or female, young or old, able-bodied or disabled. Jesus welcomes you to sit at his feet and to treat him as the rabbi of rabbis, the Lord of lords. He wants you to learn from him so that you can go and serve him. If a young woman in a patriarchal Middle Eastern world can cross over cultural barriers to sit at Jesus' feet, then anyone can sit at Jesus' feet. The desire to be a student of Jesus so that you can do the ministry of Jesus is a good desire. So Jesus wants you to join his ministry team. So we talked about the who of ministry being you, and now let's secondly talk about the lifestyle of ministry, which is hospitality. And here I want to come to Martha's defence. She gets a bad rap, but let's just remind ourselves of what actually happens. Jesus doesn't actually rebuke Martha completely for her hard work in serving him. He just challenges her to consider her anxiousness and her fussing about and points out that it has caused her to miss out on having exclusive time with him. The whole of Luke 10 has been about the importance of hospitality in ministry. Jesus has talked about welcoming your guest and going out of your way for your neighbour. And Martha's done that. Earlier in Luke 7, Jesus rebukes Simon the Pharisee who had invited him over for a meal but showed him poor hospitality. A marginalised woman who was known for her sins came to the house and poured expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and kissed his feet and Simon complained and said, what's going on? But Simon didn't even give Jesus water for his feet or kiss him when he arrived. He didn't put oil on Jesus' head. In other words, Simon the Pharisee didn't show Jesus the hospitality that was due for him. And so Jesus did rebuke Simon the Pharisee about that. So perhaps Martha had heard this story and wanted to make sure she had made a fuss over her special house guest. But what we do see with Martha is that hospitality is central to Christian discipleship and ministry. The best way you can love your neighbour is to serve them. It's to go out of your way for them It's to welcome them into your home. It's to make a fuss for them. It is to make personal sacrifices for them. Martha's actually doing the things that disciples should do. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says, when you show hospitality to the poor and the stranger, when you feed them and give them a drink and clothe them and care for them, when they are sick and look after them when they are homeless and visit them when they are in prison, when you do these things, you do it for him. You do it for Jesus himself. So the lifestyle of the Christian in ministry is a lifestyle of hospitality. It's having meals with people. It's welcoming people. As the 72 disciples learned, it's also being welcomed by others. Do you need to be a good cook to do the ministry of hospitality? No. People don't want your fine middle class dishes. They want you. 
They want to be nourished by friendship. They want to be loved. Do you need a big house to do the ministry of hospitality? No. Jesus didn't have a house at all. In fact, he invited himself over. You can be a bit nosy. Knocking on other people's doors is actually a ministry of hospitality. You don't have to be the provider of all the things. It's not so much welcoming people into your home as as much as it is welcoming people into your life. What if you randomly knock on someone's door and they're a bit too busy to see you? Well, that's fine. Just move on. But I guarantee you that 80% of the time, people will be happy to see you. That's what our staff team learned in the second lockdown of 2020. Remember there was a period in the second lockdown. We hadn't seen each other as a congregation for ages. It felt like ages. And so then we decided to try and knock on or as many people's doors as we could, visit as many people as we could, knocking on doors. And a lot of people weren't available. Many people were. And sometimes we'd find out really significant pastoral things and we're able to pray for each other. It's actually much better than a call or a text. Do you need a tidy house? I hear this one sometimes. What if your house is always in a mess? How can you exercise the mystery of hospitality if your, your house is tidy? Your house is not tidy, so I'll let you in on a secret. People in paid ministry often have the messiest houses. I don't know exactly why. I am speaking from experience here. It seems to be the case. You don't need to have a tidy house. In fact, sometimes having a messy house brings the, the, the middle class barriers down. People go, oh, I'm seeing the real person here. Anyway, do you need to have good mental health to do the ministry of hospitality? No, you don't. Joe and I had a, a friend uh, called Ronald who sadly died a few weeks ago. Ronald had schizophrenia and was very eccentric, very eccentric but he always had people coming and going from his house, including people who lived on the street. He would sit you down and bring you a cup of tea and make a fuss and want to talk to you about faith in Jesus. Anyone can participate in the ministry of hospitality, of serving others. Most forms of ministry at church, in fact, the ministries that we do here on a Sunday, is a form of hospitality whether you're handing out booklets, stacking chairs, opening your home to invite people over for a meal, giving your money to the poor, preaching a sermon, telling people about Jesus, going overseas to be a missionary, planting churches, leading Sunday school, all of these things is all the ministry of hospitality, serving each other. The church is a body and we are all members of that body. We all have a role to play. The church is like a building and we all are the builders and constructing that Everyone chips in a bit for the work. The church is like a farm. We all do our bit on the farm to grow the crops. Let me invite you and urge you to embrace a lifestyle of generous hospitality. But here is a warning, and it's the warning that goes to Martha, that as you rightly welcome people into your life, don't miss the point. The who of ministry is you, The lifestyle of ministry is hospitality. And so now we finish with the important thing, the important thing of ministry. Martha was bringing out all the food for the meal, but Jesus was offering an even better meal. He says, you can't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. 
In the Gospel of Luke, to listen to the words of Jesus is to join the road of discipleship. The problem with Martha's ministry of hospitality was that the cooking and cleaning and fussing over her guests caused her to be distracted or literally, literally pulled away from Jesus. She was wavering from the road of discipleship while trying to be a disciple. Martha went to Jesus and expected him to agree with her and to send Mary back into the kitchen, but Jesus sided with Mary and Martha found herself in that awkward situation when she was doing everything right but still getting it wrong. Jesus pointed out to her she was being pulled away from the one important thing, the one important thing, which is to listen to Jesus. When Martha criticised her younger sister to Jesus, she betrayed herself. Christian hospitality is about focusing on the guest, but Martha's complaint actually shows that she's focusing on herself. She calls Jesus Lord, but she wants Jesus to come onto her program, not to learn from his plans. She's a little bit like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The younger brother leaves home, took his father's inheritance and wasted it all on partying, but then he realised he'd stuffed up, comes home feeling sorry for himself and his father graciously welcomes him home and the older brother says, this is unfair. I've been doing all this work. Why are you throwing a party from my stupid little brother? Like the older brother, Martha was so busy and distracted doing the busy work. The older brother had the privilege of being with his father all that time but didn't appreciate the privilege of what that meant because he was so fixated on his work in the same way Martha had the privilege of having Jesus in her home, in her living room, but she was too distracted and busy to realise. So here's some application. First of all, don't be so busy you miss the privilege. My challenge to you in your busy lifestyle is to draw a mental diagram and the mental diagram goes, Mary, Martha, and there's a line... Where do you sit on that line? Only you can answer that. At the one end who's Martha, who, who is around Jesus but too busy to learn from Jesus. And then there's Mary, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sure, you hang out with Christians, you even serve on a roster, but have you allowed yourself to still sit with Jesus? Have you made time to be with him? Or is life moving so quickly that you can't even focus on the voice in your life. Secondly, don't tick a box with your Christian faith. Don't tick a ministry box. Sometimes we can convince ourselves that all we need to do is to show up to the right things and tick a box of signing up to a ministry and then we're a Christian. But Jesus wants us to engage with him and to listen to him. I hope that you embrace the ministry lifestyle of hospitality but not at the cost of missing the point. I would not want you to miss the, the most important thing. You need the wisdom and truth from Jesus so that you know how to serve. Hear first and then do second. Martha got the order mixed up. So don't you do the same thing just by ticking a box of ministry. You are so blessed to have a good church, access to great Bible teaching. I'm not talking about myself. I'm just talking about Australians have access. Such great Bible teaching all over the place. You have solid Christian community. Don't be so distracted with your busy life 
where you squeeze in ministry and busily do it, that you miss out on Jesus. Thirdly, take the opportunity while you can to study the word of Jesus. There are different times in your life when you should see that, seize that opportunity and heavily invest in your own learning of the Bible. When you're a kid growing up at church, when you're at uni going to teaching conferences, perhaps enrolling in a subject or two at Ridley, you could do, you could get books, you could, um, there are conferences, well, not in COVID time, but usually there's lots of conferences, there's things online. This is how you keep Jesus as the main thing of ministry and sit at his feet, listening to his word being taught. Parents, bring your kids to church. Send them to Sunday school, to youth group and to camps. If you take them out of these things because of competing interests, sport or whatever it is, you have foolishly not chosen what is better. When you pull your kids out of all the good opportunities church has to offer them, you are setting them up not to make Jesus the main thing. Train your kids to sit at the feet of Jesus and you can start to do that by doing it yourself. The most important thing for the life of ministry is to cling unswervingly to Jesus. This must be our major effort. This is the road we must stay on. Any other path even if it's an impressive path, should be thought of as secondary and potentially a dangerous distraction. Martha did do a good thing in welcoming in Jesus into her disciples and serving them, but Mary did an even better thing because she made her focus the teaching of Jesus. She stayed by his feet, poured out the precious oil of her good faith. Jesus wants you to join with him and to get involved in ministry. This is a lifestyle of serving others in hospitality, welcoming people into your life. And as we do this, we keep Jesus the main thing, keep him our focus, focus on his word, because ministry will one day cease, but the words of Jesus will last forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that we can be people who sit at your feet. Thank you for Mary who gave us this example. We pray that we can be growing as disciples of the rabbi of rabbis and that we too may embrace this lifestyle of hospitality of welcoming people into our lives. We pray that as a church we'll be a hospitable church, a welcoming church, a community that loves each other and also people not in our church. And we pray that you will use us to bring you glory. Amen.